I'm recording right now. It's not a good one. <laughs> oh. Our Mind on Music, episode 20. Episode 20, we're in like, well, we've been in double digits for a long time. You know, but I've uh, aged 15 years since we started this thing. I don't find it stressful at all. When I started, I had dark black hair. When I started, I had a full head of curly hair. <laughs> all right. Good to be back, Jeremy. Welcome back, Leon, my friend. Um, Leon wasn't able to come in for the last episode, so I went solo. Did you like when I added the heart song? Alone. That <laughs> was pretty funny. <laughs> I had a lot of fun making that guy. Actually, you. you're funny without me. I don't. I'm not sure I like that. I don't know. You kind of steal my thunder. I don't. Yeah. I, don't I hate to say it out loud, but I will. This is like the third or possibly fourth episode in a series um, that we're calling "Music of Our Youth," and the concept here is that we're thinking about, like, from a young age. What sort of influenced our musical choices as we were growing up? That's as songwriters or not, just as song lovers, you know, as music lovers. Music of our youth. Music of our youth. And you, uh, I like the uh, episode where you put in the... Uh, Chilliwack? Oh, well, yeah, that, no, that was good. No, um, was that a part of the series? Yeah. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. That was, that was um, Leon's musical memories. I like, well, you got the yacht... Or the or the boat mm. that he was recording on that was so cool with yeah the, so much, much music. music. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who know, much music was the MTV of Canada, and I don't know if it just became. I think MTV, MTV was the much music of the US. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, that's exactly what I meant, eh? Yeah. So, <laughs> so much music. That's what we were watching. I mean, I remember on City TV Channel Seven in Ontario and Toronto. Uh, we would watch um, John Major. When you got into Toronto Rock's first season, you met a lot of new friends. This is Huey Lewis. And we're from the Go-Go's. Including John Major. He knows it. And this season, the Major's back with not only more prizes. Congratulations. Thanks. And more of the music videos you're asking to see, but with an additional half hour. Hi, John Major letting you know that this fall, we're expanding to a full hour. Toronto Rock's every weekday at 4 p.m. on City TV. Be here. They had a booth in Toronto, didn't they? Or was that in Vancouver? Yeah, yeah, that's Speaker's Corner. Speaker's Corner. Speaker's Corner. That? That's where the, the Bare Naked Ladies basically got started. Yep. They, I mean, obviously, yeah, they if were If I had a million stuff. dollars, they did in the booth, right? That's right. So you, they had Check a video out. booth. It looked like one of those photo booths that we sometimes have, and you can go and make funny faces with your friends, and you get four photographs on a, on a strip of paper. And so the Bare Naked Ladies, being from Toronto, um, they went into the Speaker's Corner booth and they recorded themselves. I got to actually put a clip of that. Yeah. Here. So I'll put a clip of that. Basically the start of the Bare Naked Ladies. So we've been doing this series about uh, what are our influences from childhood up to now. And for some of us, that just meant that we continue to be music lovers. Okay, and 
you know, the things that people listen to. And we had uh, a lot of great responses on social media and Let's a lot of people. Check out your episode. The last episode. We went through 19. a bunch of those. Yeah, so I just thought it would be interesting to not just have our take on it. Um, just what were people listening to and, and what do people sort of still listen to? Like the the Irish Rovers. So not only were they a, so a band cool. from the 1960s, I think 1963 they started. Her eyes, they shone like the diamonds, yet yeah. think she was queen of the, the land. The Her eyes, they shone like the diamonds. So yeah, so the Irish Rovers were featured in there because my sister uh, had written in that that was one of the first songs that she remembers exactly. loving. Yeah, 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 that's why I was in there. And then the Irish Rovers, I posted that on Twitter and all this stuff. The Irish Rovers liked our uh, our, our our tweet. And then responded to the response. Yeah, so then I posted that saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe the Irish Rovers actually responded to our tweet. They liked it or something. I don't think they, anything if they just liked it. And and then I posted that, did they see the episode? And the answer came back from the Irish Rovers, oh yeah. And I was like, I'm in conversation virtually with the Irish Rovers. (laughs) Unreal. Well, back in the day, there was like Don Messer big deal for me when I was like four years old okay there's a picture somebody's got it back home of me as a four-year-old having run out of the tub with no towel on because I heard the music from Don Messer oh wow like dancing around to that it's amazing yeah the, so for me the the one uh that came to mind was the Bay City Rollers ah yeah the other one was the Pig and Whistle did you ever hear that oh yes yeah the Pig and Whistle yeah hey Turner a barmaid who knows how to sing up a storm the Roland and Romaine dancers, real high steppers. And how about that Billy Meek? Dumbbell pull up, your shorts as well. Whatever you do, keep it. Oh, yes, whatever you do, keep it. meet some of the happiest people at Canada's friendliest pub, the Pig and Whistle. Join the fun on CTV, where Monday night is pub night. And the man who keeps the good cheer flowing, innkeeper John Hewer. <laughs> Now we're thinking in the terms, like in this episode, we're talking from the perspective of musicians and songwriters. I write songs, they just come into my head. And then because I've practiced for years and I've studied the theory and stuff like that, now I can turn what I hear in my head into something that I could play on an instrument. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. But then where do those ideas come from? Now that I don't think we'll be able to answer, but I can say that the fact that I grew up listening to the Beatles in, at home, the fact that I heard the Bee Gees and the Bay City Rollers, and then my mom listening to Calypso music one day and then Slim Whitman the next day, like all of that stuff is still in my brain. It's in your subconscious. Right. It's in your experience. It right? occurs to me that this, this podcast, Our Mind on Music, is called that because of Daniel Levitin's book, I wonder if he would have something to say on this question in terms of where the song actually comes from. Not where do we take it, because what we're talking about here really is not where do these songs come from. We're talking about what do we do with them once they come. It's kind of like problem solving in a way, right? When you're trying to write a song. You're trying to solve... If then yeah, statements, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I was going to say, if we're talking about what influenced me per... Personally, it was 
uh, I mean, probably to a large extent would be the piano guys, like especially Burton Cummings. Elton John was later in the 80s for me. That's interesting. Because I was uh, only five or six when he first started coming out. And my older, the, the older kids in school were really into it. Like the last album that I remember them bringing to, the, to one of the school dances was uh, Island Girl. Island Girl. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, what's all the big fuss about Elton John? You know, some some of his music, I gotta say, you know? not that it's bad songwriting. Philadelphia Freedom. I love that song. Okay, but it wasn't it wasn't what what uh, reached out to me. What reached out to me was like my own way to rock. Burton Cummings. really got me I gotta say I I was not I was kind of I'd say a bit of a guess who fan um, mm-hmm. back in the day um, it wasn't till I met you I remember having a conversation with you and Marcel Marcel is uh, Leon's My nephew um, we were co-workers together that's actually how we met mm-hmm. through Marcel thank Absolutely. you Marcel thanks thanks for that 20 20 years later Jesus. yeah yeah I got a photo of us I'm gonna put it in here because it's music where it's a picture of the two of us in Qingdao in like 2007. Wow. <laughs> oh, it has to be before 2005. That's when I came here. Literally 20 years ago. Literally. Wow. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. And yeah. I remember you especially saying that you were a huge fan of Burton Cummings' music and the Guess Who. And I said, well, look, they've got American Woman and that's it. And you just kind of went, what are you, what are you talking eye, about? These eyes, undone, share the land. That's exactly you know. what you said. I think it was those three songs. But but you started just rhyming off songs. And I said, oh, yeah. So then I started going back and listening to them uh, again with with fresh ears, like mm-hmm. with a, with an open mind, really. Yep. And I was like, "Oh, that's a great song. Whoa, I love that." You know, his. I mean, Burton Cummings talks about this in interviews and stuff. But the big thing that got him that band was that he could sing the soft melodic stuff, but then he could also crunch out a grinding. Robert vocal. Plant called called him at one point apparently the greatest rock and roll singer on the planet. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. Like 70s, 80s, 70, 71. Check your sources, kids. Don't just, you know. That's what I heard. I don't know what's true. I just know what I heard. Robert Plant. So I think that's kind of what we're exploring here is like, I don't think we'll be able to say where is that um, place that the ideas come from specifically. But I think we could talk a little bit about sort of how it filters through that idea in my head, filters through all of that stuff and the ability that I have because I might think of something that sounds like Mozart, but maybe I can't play that. So I'm going to change it so that I can. 
Yeah. So that I can turn it into something that is really a song. You know, I remember actually years ago, I was, I think this was when I was in Venezuela and I was showing a student uh, in this class a song that I had written. She had written a song and it was a couple of chords, you know, and she sang these words and, and I was like, okay, that's really good. That's a good start. And she said, can you show me a song that you've written? You know, and so I did. And she said, but why does yours sound like a song? And mine sounds like just a kid coming up with ideas kind of thing, right? I mean, personally, I didn't even agree with her. I thought what she had done as a like, 12-year-old, I was I was really impressed that yeah. she had put together some chords and some lyrics and, mm-hmm. and a melody. Um, but I think my answer to that, thinking back on it now, would be that she didn't, she hadn't built up enough skill to maybe do the chord voicings that she might have wanted. I think that's exactly what it is. I think, it, and and well, or I, either that, or to have the confidence to say, okay, I can. It's kind of like the Eddie Van Halen thing, right? So where where he's got, he's heard this thing and he's thought, oh, I can do this, right, right, right. And even though you're saying that in the past it's been done, he had the confidence to go, okay, I can do this. So Leon's talking about. Um, uh, Eddie Van Halen talked at the Smithsonian Institute um, a few years ago about hammer-ons. About hammer-ons, you know. So if you play the guitar with two hands and you hit a string, pull it off, it'll make a sound. If you do that with two fingers, it's kind of like you're playing the piano, the, the piano on the guitar. Yeah, and it's arpeggios usually. It's like... Um, so he explained that the reason he got that idea in his head was that he was watching Led Zeppelin on stage in California and Jimmy Page was playing something like this. He was just moving. With two fingers. With two fingers. He was moving his finger up and down, hitting the strings. And then he had his other hand up in the air and he was kind of going. Doing the rock and roll move. Yeah, you know, to get, get the crowd to, to scream. And Eddie Van Halen saw that and thought, wow, so I don't have to pick. I can just hit the strings. What if I use my other hand if I don't have to pick? If I just hit higher, yeah. what'll that do? Da, 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 da. So I'll play a sample of Eddie Van Halen style eruption? playing. I'll play a piece of eruption because wow. Seventy-six, that was right? uh, seventy-eight. It was released. Was it? I think okay. it was. I think it was recorded. Leading into it, it went from eruption to. Uh, yeah, you really, got, really me. got me. Okay, so also back to the idea of where do those songs come from and where the ideas come from, and our episode on everything's a remix, because mm. I think in a lot of ways, you know, the songs come out as an interpretation of somebody else's chord changes, somebody else's motif at the beginning of a song, somebody yeah. else's melody. I mean, it's all there. I mean, people are getting sued all over the place right now. Right. And I think it's kind of weird. I mean, maybe if I was the one that was being copied, I might feel differently, but it just... Well, you know, it's sometimes, at least, it's not even the artist that wrote the song who's suing. Yeah, it's the, it's we, the record company. Our, uh, or, the, had, or the rights holder, the copyright right. holder. So we had used um, in... I think it was the last episode, 19. If you look on YouTube, you'll see there are two versions of our video. Uh, Episode 19, uh, viewer input, and then viewer input, copyright claims removed. Because (laughs) whoever whoever owns Prince's music currently, we had put uh, a little sound, like literally, I think I just had one line 
from the Bat Dance, from the Batman record, right? Because yeah. one of our Great viewers stuff, by the way. had had written in that he loved that album and he just thought it was uh, he thought it was a great album so it was an influence on him he remembers it I put it in we were blocked because of it we're not Crazy. monetized we're not this that blah 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 and whatever the case may be oh we're making a lot of money off this podcast oh yeah that's what I meant to say of yeah. course we're making millions raking it in yeah you might have noticed that uh, I've got different style this color oh, I mean look at the clothes this gray shirt is darker that. than my, my usual glasses. gray I don't usually Gucci pay for glasses. extra gray I am actually wearing Gucci perfume or cologne today. You smell marvelous. Do I smell oh, good? Sorry. I thought it was the Lavazza, but you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, at some point, maybe the original episode 19 with a piece of the snippet of Bat Dance will be in there. For now, episode 19 doesn't have. That. It just has him doing a Bat Dance. Yeah, it just has me saying, and here's Prince. <laughs> Awkward <laughs> silence. So, um, so he. Cousin Roger. My cousin Roger brought, because he had a habit of passing through, oh, God rest his soul, he, he had a habit of passing, passing through with new albums, so Steve Miller Band, uh, the Meatloaf album, um, on and on, Super Tramp, and Burton Cummings, My Own Way to Rock was one of them. And I got that thing, I think I was about maybe 10 or 11 years old, maybe 12, and I was just like, ding 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 I wanted to learn that so bad. Oh, right, when I heard that, yeah. That that part, like that's one of those moments where I was like, "Oh man, how did I not hear this when I was listening to this on Q one hundred and seven in Toronto yeah. at the time?" You know, how did I not notice that? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. You know? And so the solo, I learned the solo, I learned everything. So that was kind of the start of my. Uh, if if you're talking about overarching influences, that is probably the moment when I said, "Okay, now I'm gonna." This is this is when I turned from just being a piano student. Mm-hmm. A music student to somebody who want actually this is what I want to do. That is an amazing point that you make right there because when you went from being a piano student to being somebody that you're like, okay, this is what I want to do, and that's when I started writing songs also. Right so, after that, and that's funny because I remember that. So for me, the story, I mean, definitely Eddie Van Halen was a huge influence on me because I played piano, I took piano lessons, and <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell the story about how my mom outsmarted me so I was supposed to practice for an hour a day when I was like 12 or something 11 you will, mister. You know? an hour is a long time it's a long time but I loved it so it wasn't that hard a thing for her to like sort of convince me you know but then I was like I was getting tired she said okay tell you what you love the guitar right so um, actually it was my grandmother's friend who had this guitar in her apartment she gave it to my mom said give it to your son he, if he wants to play he can play it my mom said, okay, you love the guitar, this Van Halen guy, you know, tell you what, you uh, practice for half an hour or so on the piano, take a break, practice the guitar for a while, and then once you're finished with that and you're ready to go back to the piano, then go back and do your other half an hour. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Smart lady. win-win. Smart yeah, lady. I'm practicing. So I'm like, because I wasn't taking guitar Was it electric? No. no, it was acoustic, acoustic Stella guitar. Beautiful little, it was a like a three-quarter, three-quarter size. Um, beautiful little guitar, and so I was playing like Eddie Van Halen. I was trying to learn how to do hammer-ons. That's got to be hard on an on an acoustic. It was nylon strings, <laughs> like literally impossible, <laughs> almost impossible. Well, it made it Very a lot difficult. easier once I got an electric. I was like, oh my oh. goodness, look at that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But so so that for me that was a big thing. Just I just imagine you like tapping that out as a little <laughs> kid, you know, like. <laughs> 
But I, I think that was a key moment because I thought Eddie Van Halen played the guitar. I wanted to play the guitar. And so now I'm playing two instruments, which now has expanded, right? And I play different instruments. But um, And then... He plays a mean cowbell. You got to hear some. There's always there's always more room for cowbell. There's never enough. There's never enough. Really? I mean, is there? I've got a fever that can only be cured by some more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Walken. So and then of course 1984 comes out right or maybe it was you got out, the best out. of both worlds. You got keys. You got I'll wait. You've nice got, Van Halen yeah. reference there. Best of both worlds. Well yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then Eddie Van Halen is playing the keyboards. No, Eddie Van Halen is a guitar god. He plays the piano too. Yeah, yeah, I can do both. Yeah, like for me that was huge. Yeah, but I remember, of course, like '77. So like a year, a year roughly before uh, Van Halen One came out was Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. Mm. I didn't know any of the people that were on the album at the time. I'm sure I didn't even think about it, but I remember hearing the beginning of that song, which is epic. Like, yeah. it's just huge. Yeah. Very baroque, actually. I was like, "This is insane!" Like, yeah. exactly. It was like Bach with drums and bass. Yeah. And Todd Rundgren doing his whole production. I think it's fabulous. Yeah, it's amazing. And Roy Bitten, who is the E Street Band, uh, Bruce Springsteen's yeah. piano player, was on there. And he plays totally different on that than he does. In my opinion, he does a lot of different. He does a lot of similarities in the ballads and stuff like that. But like mm. on the Bat of the Hell. Paradise by the Dashboard Light. I don't know if he's on every song, but it's a, it's a, it's a, you know what I mean? It's a different thing. Well, for him. I mean, like there's some big East, uh, East Street Band. True. What East, East Street Band? Is yeah. That what it's called? There are some big um, Bruce Springsteen's, and, but nothing like that song. That song was just huge, you yeah. know? And it was the first time I ever thought, wow. So I think that album was a huge influence for me as well I was studying with the Royal Conservatory of Music so I was studying classical music which I was fine with I didn't hate classical music or anything it wasn't like that but then when I heard Meatloaf breakthrough. mixing the two together and then that's what I considered was a good it song. was classical it was rock it was theater it was, it every, was yeah like just so everything all of those things what a, in a way what a weird mix but I bet you there are people watching this going oh yeah I get that uh, Bad Out of Hell, Van Halen. And you know what they did before that, right? The, the two of them, they did the Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? Yes, yeah, Jim Steinem. Uh, yeah, Jim Steinem and, and, uh, and uh, what's Meatloaf. Meatloaf. All right, so... What were we talking about? I want to go back to that era for me. You, So you grew up... So let, see, so your formative years would have been the like 80 80s. and on? Yeah. Okay, so for me, it was that five years prior. Or Sorry, four I years should prior. say... Like the last episode, we were talking about the preteen years. Yeah. And so that was just like what was in my head before I even started thinking about. Music. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, then then we're talking about for, for our family, it was all kinds of stuff. It was country, mm-hmm. a lot of country. You know, Johnny Cash, Boy Named Sue, Folsom Prison Blues, you know. And we had these KTL albums where you had like um, um, Fair and Young and uh, Jim Reeves. Oh, Jim Reeves. That was that was big. But that first... Put your sweet lips, sweet lips a little closer, closer to the phone. 
Let's pretend that we're together all alone. I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox way down low. And you can tell your friend there with you, he'll have to go. Kind of like a country crooner. I totally, totally. He was the, uh, he was the, what's the, Bakersfield sound. Yes. So it was him and Patsy Cline, right? Oh, Patsy Cline, what a, and you know who wrote Crazy? Willie Nelson. Yeah. Yep. Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. Charlie Pride was huge in our house. Like, the crystal chandeliers light up the paintings on your wall. The marbles that you have are standing stately in the hall. But will the timely crowd that has you laughing loud help you dry your tears? When the new words all of your crystal chandelier. Charlie Pride is great. Uh, the snakes crawl at night. The snakes, oh, all the snakes, snakes crawl at night. Doom. That's what they say. There. So those are all like, for me, those were even before you were yeah. aware of things. So. Um, but there wasn't a ton of country in our house. And the main reason was because my mom, I don't know, I don't think she even thought about it. She just would listen to like, the Merry Men Calypso one day. Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte. Like two days ago was his ninety sixth birthday. Ninety six. Impressive. Yeah. And My he's Auntie going... Bertha's ninety six. Really? Yeah. Wow. Ninety seven. Wow. Okay. Harry... Just the memories, the musical memories from that time are all tied up in what were we doing? Mm. You know? Like I played with three other guys, uh, Tom Fukushima, Japanese dude. He's... Actually oh. one of the only Japanese families around there. So he played bass. Uh, Larry Kimber on drums, a Mennonite. Ray Snaith, a Mennonite on guitar. And me on keys. Hey, Ray. (laughs) Larry. Those guys moved to Manitoba, I think. You know, and and, uh, the songs that we did were, I mean, we we covered some songs and we did a couple of school dances. um, But we weren't, like, super seasoned or anything like that. We We didn't do anything much with it afterwards. But in grade 12... We were commissioned with writing the the, uh, the graduation song. Wow! So I wrote a song called "Dreams," and it I don't know if I can find a recording of it because it was done on we we pressed some forty fives. Oh, geez. And we and we sold them to forty uh, fives. Yeah. Probably. I'll, I'll just show. I'll show like an LP, a thirty three and a half uh, RPM. Yeah. And a forty five was a a single. Was a single. Yeah. Yeah. So American Pie would have been both sides. Jeez Louise. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So we had we had that American Pie 45. Anyway, so the 45 was, was for the grad class and whoever else wanted to buy one. And they actually played it on local radio. It was a lot of fun, right? But that song was right when Sticks uh, Come Sail Away was kind of, you know, I, I shouldn't say that because we graduated in 82. So it, it, that song had already been, Come Sail Away had already been. There. But we did Come Sail Away as a, one of our songs.
that led directly to Dreams, which um, you know has kind of a, it has piano, but also like a a, um, a xylophone over top. Glockenspiel. Actually, it is a glockenspiel. Oh, okay. First time I used a B3, by the way. Oh, when we recorded. love the B3. I remember... Okay, so let me finish this one point. The, the glockenspiel thing. Rush. Yes. But they show them recording their parts, you know? Glockenspiel in recordings that I make now. Yeah, but actually, I'm using samples of it. I, I get it from my from my oh, um, okay from yeah. my computer. I don't actually play a Glockenspiel. Yeah. Um. So this, that's this was a real Glockenspiel that saying. was in the studio, and we had no intention of using it. It's, it's just, just the guy that was engineering the thing. He said, "I want to put this over top. It might sound cool." So we did. I kind of <laughs> missed that. It was it was a lot of fun. To oh, naturel. To use the the actual instruments to make the, the song. I played that song "Love Sick and Lonely" for you, where the where the uh, that, that that we wrote is just like a way way back. Um, but there's a there's a backwards thing that we used. We we turned the the reel to reel over mm-hmm. and did a backwards thing, and then there's a door slam, which is literally the back door of our yes. like, teaching studio slamming. Yeah, I I think there was a lot of fun in that. I have I have a recording of a song I did years ago, and I wanted to have like a an um, Indian style drum sound, mm-hmm. uh, tabla kind of, yeah. and I didn't have one, so I used a margarine bowl, and I just what I did was I just literally tapped the top of the empty margarine bowl with my Ooh, fingers, nice. and then I slowed down the tape, you know, so wow. slow it down, speed it up, you get different sounds. Oh, where did the songs come from? So, I think you just get these ideas. We've talked about this before in other episodes and just you and I chatting, but the idea that um, I have no idea where the songs that I've written came from, but I do know that once I had it in my head, the fact that I knew the difference between a major or a minor chord, or the fact that I could play the guitar, the piano, whatever... Um, I could translate that idea into something that somebody could then hear. I could take it to my to my drummer, and he could give his input. And that's sort of like where the the whole thing starts. Not really sure, but I'm sure it's being filtered through Meatloaf and Van Halen and Slim Whitman and Charlie Pride and Lucio uh, Luciano Pavarotti. Yes, all of those are the filters that it's feeding through when it comes to my instrument. Tell the superstar. Tell the... T- tell have the I, have t- I not told this before? I don't know. So I wrote a song called When the Heart Meets the Mind. And if you listen to it, it's all... They're going to listen to it. <laughs> it's it's all super trap. I've only got a, a demo version. I've never recorded it with anybody. I've, I've just never developed it into a... When I was...
When the heart meets the mind. When the heart meets the mind. Yes. Yeah, and that's the whole story. And then you guys decide. Yeah, so, so uh, I mean, the core changes are like super down. And I, re- I don't remember thinking at the time at all, like, I want to make this sound like super trend. It just came out that way. Right. And, um, you know, and that was that way with all of my songs. And when, when people would say, oh, that sounds like blah, 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 I would get offended sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. not anymore, I wouldn't. But at, back in the day, I would be like, what do you mean? Sounds like blah, blah, blah. Sounds like me. What are you talking about? Yeah. And, or, or it would, maybe not offended was the wrong word, just... I would be like, ah, that's not what I was going for. Felt like a fail. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul McCartney, of all people, like one of the most respected songwriters of, well, full stop. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One of the most respected songwriters. And he's said that as well. He he was on like a late night TV show. And he said that. He said that, you know, there were songs. Did you say, well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That was Paul McCartney, ladies and gentlemen. You got to listen to Dana Carvey do Paul McCartney. It's hilarious. (laughs) That guy's hilarious doing anything. But he talked about that. He was like, you know, people said that they ripped off this person or that person in the early days. And he said, you know, that that song, I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about. That song might have come from the, I don't know, whatever, the Shirelles or... Yeah. I, I George Harrison. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, yeah, oh, my Lord. Right. But he said it may have come through, through that, but he didn't consciously sit down and try to remake that song with different lyrics or something. Um. I'm I'm sure there are people who are going to argue that point uh, when you hear that, but his point was that there's a certain there's a certain point in the songwriting process where you just have this idea, and I think what he was talking about is that sort of I'll use again the filter. Mm-hmm. There's this filter that is now built into my brain. And you, can you imagine a guy like Paul McCartney? Like they played all those years in Germany, mm-hmm. and they were playing six hours a night, and they were learning yeah. songs like. Non-stop. Yeah, wasn't even town. It was it was it was Hamburg. Yeah. yeah. So they, I mean, so that's that's where it all comes from. And then they started getting into Bob Dylan and getting into you know the Beach Boys and and uh, really you know exp- you know expanding did, their. Did thing. you go through a shift like that? I remember when I first started playing it Out of Bounds, when I was again like in grade ten, we were listening to Skid Row. We were listening to Rat. Remember R A T T Rat and stuff like that. You know, like. I guess what you'd call now like hair metal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, Motley Crue was huge at that time. All of that kind of stuff. And then the grunge stuff came in, right? And I remember like our first demo that we made um, as a band, it had that sound, you know? It was very much influenced by those types of groups. And then the last thing that we recorded, yeah. I was I was really trying to sound like Alice in Chains. And I liked Soundgarden and... Soundgarden had Chris Cornell. Yeah. Oh man, what a voice! And then um, what a Alice in Chains. Yeah, huge. Yeah, Alice in Chains had um, Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell. Yeah. So what that was, was the super group that Chris Cornell was in. Audio Slave. Audio Slave. Yeah. Fantastic. Just amazing because all of those things, like all points, met and just went. It was huge. Yeah. So uh, what my question for you was like did you have a moment of transition like that where you started playing some, something and then you f- you remember changing over to a different style and sound? I just wrote I kind of wrote what was coming out at the time and I also wrote for the musicians that I was playing with. So so Rob Needham was the was the guitar instructor and him and I got the 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 home recording studio going. Mm-hmm. And he was 
a guitar player's guitar player. Okay. You know, like he he was really into what he did. He loved Pink Floyd, and and he was super accurate and super super like just um, he was all about the feel, okay. right? Rather than the technicality. Not that he wasn't technically good, but it was all about the feel, and 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 not really all about the speed. So that's the type of stuff we wrote. And then later on, like country started becoming really uh, like pop music. Okay. Right? You had... Is this the new country? Yeah, like late 80s, early early 90s. It was it was sort of... It became more more mainstream. Is it Garth it Brooks type stuff? Or, or yeah, in that era. Okay. Right? So, and, um, so that was sort of where the focus shifted for me. And because I had that, you know, that element in my background mm. it was an easy shift but that's sort of ironically enough is that era is when I started really getting uh, really into Elton John's early stuff mm. as opposed to the late 70s when when I was listening to Burton Cummings and Bur uh, Billy Joel and, right. and all those ones right yeah. the Bur the uh, Elton John stuff early on like we were playing earlier like uh, Tiny Dancer mm -hmm. um, Madman Across the Water, mm -hmm. Captain Fantastic, and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. That's it, Captain and Fantastic and the Brown Dirt. It was a fabulous album and really kind of under the radar. I think the only song off that album was Someone Saved My Life Tonight. Maybe it was on that album. I think that's the, the only sort of big hit. And um, just kind of odd arrangements. It was the first time that he really played around with like, I don't know, it was just so good, that album. There's two things about Elton John. That's the song Scars was 100% Elton John influenced, even though it didn't come out Which, sounding like Elton John. This is a song that Leon wrote called Scars, and it was like song 50 on like a compilation of all the songs you had written and I thought it was called Scars 50 or something like that <laughs> <laughs> or 50 Scars I think it was it yeah. was they were numbered mm -hmm. on this track listing on, on the CD that you had Yeah, and I was like 50 Scars ooh that's a good name and you're ooh. like it's just Scars it's deep just... <laughs> why is there 50 why is there 50 you should just keep that in there that should be the name it's 50 Scars I think you're right but it starts off with this like sort of like um, like a sort of a chromatic rundown piano part and then goes to like really heavy, like E minor, mm. C, C9. That's one of my, of all the songs I've written, that's one of the ones I'm most proud of. And there's a Polish guy playing sax on there that's just, I mean, unreal. Wow. Unreal sax solo. But that was me, you know, just expressing myself on the piano as mm -hmm. opposed to the other songs where I was kind of like fitting myself to 
to the people that I was working with or the vocals or whatever, you know. There's a whole other layer of these filters, right? Like, again, the idea comes through our minds and everything, our recollections or just memories in our head that's just yeah. in there, right? Comes out and then you bring it to a co-writer or you bring it to a friend or whatever the yeah. case may be. And then there's that sort of filter that it goes through as well. And then if you're a, a recording artist, even if you're not, if you're like just in a band, then you bring the guitar part to the guitar player, but then the guitar player plays it differently. He got he has his own spin he on it. He has a spin on it. And then if you're a recording artist, you bring it to the studio, the producer, even the, the, the sound engineer, I mean, with Rudy Von Gelder, with the jazz artists, right? right? I would argue that his presence as he the sound engineer, a lot, yeah. he, I mean, the, well, Phil, the use of Phil Ramone, another guy, absolutely, yeah, right. The use of tight miking, yeah, you know, singing close to the microphone, that was really a big Rudy Von Gelder influence, yeah. and Frank Sinatra wouldn't wouldn't have sounded the same. Uh, you know, there were so many that that wouldn't have sounded the same. So, all of these different filters. Come the guy in. too we talked about, Hugh Pagdam. Yeah, yeah, that influenced the drum sounds and whatnot. He created so you know, the gated you, drum sound. You know, where does this song come from? Well, it comes from a ton of different sources, probably. Right. And and like the stuff that I worked on with Rob, it was completely different than the stuff I did on my own. Yeah. Right. And this is so totally. Right? I mean, because what you're saying there, it's uh, it could be compared to somebody else listening to it could say that sounds like. I don't know, Super Tramp. That sounds like yeah. this. It sounds like that. But I wrote a song called Some Love. And when I first wrote it, it was just me singing an acoustic guitar. This is when I was in Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. Took it to the band that I was in. We were a cover band. But I thought, because I had written this song, I thought, oh, I'll write original. Yeah, why not? And they were like, that is Van Morrison. Like, not even, it's not even like. Unabashedly. Unabashedly. I don't think they used that word. But man, if they had, that would have been impressive. <laughs> and I was like I never even thought of Van Morrison um, so I just basically at that moment I just dropped that song wow done hot it's pancake but then when I came here so we went to Sumatra went back to Canada came here so years had passed right mm -hmm. and like it just popped into my head where do these songs come from <clears throat> you, ever, you ever wake up in the morning and have a song stuck in your head that you haven't heard since you were like 13 that's what this felt like. It was like I had forgotten I wrote that song. Yeah. And it just popped into my head. Some love. And I teach choir now. And I do a lot of arranging for four-part harmonies with mm -hmm. the choir, right? I thought, hey, what if I did it a cappella? Take the guitar out. You know, and so basically I made an a cappella version nice. of that song. <laughs> You never feel it when it goes. Leaves a permanent wound. Feel it in my soul. It's been a long time, and I don't mind. I really like that song, and if it didn't just if it hadn't just popped back in my head I wouldn't have it would just be gone that's funny eh? like the song the song now it sounds you know completely not Van Morrison-y nobody uh, would uh, listen uh, to this and think Van Morrison yeah 
But the way I had arranged it before, I didn't think of Van, of Van Morrison, but the band, like, they... I think the the singer had said oh, that sounds like Van Morrison. That's totally yeah. Van, and the whole band went, "Oh yeah, 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 totally." You know, there's something I was gonna say. You know, if you're if you're writing, if you're listening to this and you'd like to write, whether it's writing music or writing otherwise, there I, I've been hearing listening to this guy recently, Benjamin Hardy, who talks about um, Michelangelo saying about David, "How did you come across Michelangelo?" <laughs> 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 oh my I, I want to do a compilation of how many times Kanoa <laughs> I want to do a compilation of how many Let's times see. oh my god that's so okay great. so Michelangelo mm-hmm. <laughs> oh thank you oh wow he's never done that before he's never just changed to the <laughs> it's Michelangelo Michael and I stand uncorrected sure you do <laughs> Just note, I do the editing, so this never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so he talks about how Michelangelo interpreted it, uh, that. It was, uh, how did you come up with such a beautiful statue and everything like that? And he mm -hmm. just, I just kept taking away everything that wasn't David. Wow. And when you're writing a song, Absolutely. I think that's possibly the way you, it's one way to approach it, which I, is. I have done that intentionally. Yeah. Because I, I remember, I, we've talked about this in a previous episode as well, but Prince, there was a thing about Prince, and there's a whole controversy about Kiss by Oh, really? Prince. I oh, didn't yeah. know that. I'm Do not, tell. So apparently he was in the studio. Um, he had written the song, but then this other group went and recorded it, according to the, the, the recollection of this group, is that, and when he heard their version of it, he liked it so much he took it back. And so oh, it, okay. But then... There were. Did they all, change it that much? Uh, I think they did like a because if I'm. In other words, so their version was closer to the one that he released. Is that what yes. you're saying? Okay. So. So he had he had put in like different parts, horn parts, and whatever else, stacked all his stuff on it, and didn't really like it. So he was like, "There, you guys have it. See what you can do with it." I don't yeah. think it was like you know, take this. You yeah. Know, it was just like, let's see what you guys can do Here's with it. Here's a lump of coal. It's all yours. Yeah, all yours. Enjoy. And they went, diamond. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so apparently the story uh, was that he had put all this stuff into it, instrumentation, all these different instruments, and just it was too much, and it yeah. just didn't feel right. Uh, you you know, know what? I just thought of Johnny King became a monster. The first part of the song is actually really well done, I think, like production-wise. Then we do these these uh, like we had a female vocalist do the do the Johnny King, you know, and it's just like I don't know. Johnny's face looks tired. He ain't finished trying. Johnny King always loved the songs on the radio. Johnny sings so he won't have to think about the songs come from what have we come up with um i think that it's a it's a mishmash you know it's not just any one particular thing 
it may come out a certain way and like you, like your Van Morrison story or mm-hmm. or or the thing of of um, you know sounding like Elton John or sounding like Sticks or whatever especially if you're collaborating right yeah. with another person yeah. their influences and your influences make it come out such that it's Absolutely. not yeah. you know? where does the song come from in in general it it comes from our life experiences mm-hmm. and that includes all of the things that we've heard before and it includes the the areas where we come from you know like which which part of the world and all of that right basically we can't answer where the song comes from i don't know but i do know that all of these years of practice the experiences that that we have in our lives and musically the things that we listen to it all adds up to be how we then interpret that the people that are around us that we work with in terms of creating uh, turning that into a song that a band plays or a recording that all plays into it so it's more like the spark how do you then focus that spark into something so that you actually can take it to people and say okay this is the song now and you know what the thing of it is is it's it's an inner voice and it's me at, at at that moment in time right and if I collaborate with somebody it becomes ours right it's that idea that you know you you bring this thing into the world but then at a certain point if you're gonna let it grow you have to step back and yeah let it develop however that might be yeah. episode 21 Rick Beato inspired an idea have you ever had a song that you loved when you were I don't know 14 and you listen to it now and you go really why did I love that song again? Yeah. So Rick Beato was talking about people like Depeche Mode who were out in the 80s, brought out stuff that he loved, and they've just brought out new stuff. And he's listening to see if he still loves that band based on what they're doing now as compared to what they did then. Mm-hmm. In our case, I think it's really interesting for us to talk about not that, but when I listened to Van Halen 1, mm-hmm. which when I heard it back then blew my mind mm-hmm. does it still yeah. do I still love all the songs on Van Halen 1 or over time has, has it I don't know has it changed has it grown stale is it just not my style anymore what do you think yeah that's yeah. a good that's a good subject yeah okay so the next the next uh, episode 21 will be something to the effect of um, you know do we still listen to the music that we listen to from episode 19 yeah it's a good bridge bridge topic it's a bridge alright Our Mind on Music episode 21 coming up Woo! Jeremy thanks Woo, Leon thank you don't forget to like and subscribe Lincoln Lincoln let Lincoln say that that's on okay thanks everyone don't forget to like and subscribe Good night.